I want to welcome you all to the Athlete 911 Baseball Sunday Clinics. The forum is for our players and other youth baseball players and families. Our sole agenda is to help players in their journey through high school and youth baseball. Positive, honest forum discussing baseball and all that is involved trying to reach your dream. Tonight, we welcome University of Arizona Associate Head Coach Dave Lawn. I see Dave's speaker is on and he will speak here starting in one second, but I don't want to go through, I do want to go through Dave's coaching career and highlights before we bring Dave on. Obviously, Dave has been in the college baseball forum for 24 seasons as an assistant coach at the Division I level, including 22 seasons in the Pac-10 and 12. He's been in eight NCAA regionals, four NCAA Super Regionals, and four College World Series in 1992, in 2001, in 2016, and last year in 2021 with the Wildcats. He has coached 23 players who have gone on to play in Major League Baseball. He helped develop Mark Pryor, the 2001 Golden Spikes Award winner at USC. He has also worked with three Pac-10 12 pitchers of the year, Mark Pryor in 2001, Ian Kennedy in 2006, and Bobby Kalan in 1994. He has helped his team to three Pac-12 championships, one Big West championship, and one Mountain West regular season championship. That's quite a resume, 24 season as a college coach in one of the top conferences in the country. Dave, we welcome you here to Athlete 911 Sunday Night Clinics. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much for having me um, and listen off all that stuff. More than anything, it means that over all those years, we had really good players and I think I'd be remiss in saying that we're only as good as the players that we have and the the places I've been lucky enough to coach at over the years are hot spots for great players that want to go there and the end result is all that other cool stuff. So again, thanks for having me. Let me t- tell you guys a few places Davis coached. He's been at Arizona from 2015 to the present time. He was the director of player development at Cal State Fullerton in 2013. He was at UNR from 2013 through 2015. He coached with the great Bob Milano at Cal from 1991 to 2000. And he was an assistant for Mike Gillespie at USC from 2001 to 2007. He also was a high school coach at Servite High School. And he's been the athletic director at J. Sarah High School down in, I want to say it's Capistrano Valley in the Southern California area. So that's, as you can see, guys, his resume is a resume that we would all dream of. He has been in the position he's been in because he is, a, number one, he's a great person, but he's also a good evaluator, a talent, and a teacher. So my first, I'm going to ask questions now, and all the players that are on this, the coaches, this is totally solely for all of our betterment. And Dave, my first question to you would be, would ask you, what advice would you give players that during the recruiting process is that's important to see for you guys 
other than playing ability? It's a great question. And I think the best way to answer that would be we had a unbelievable center fielder that played for us the last three, four years at the University of Arizona. He ended up being a third or fourth round draft pick of the Baltimore Orioles. Dante Williams is who I'm talking about. And when Dante was in high school, I went to go see him play in the summer up in Phoenix in the JOs or whatever tournament was going on that time. And as luck would have it, he wasn't in the lineup that day. Butch, I'm sure you and others who are on this call that are coaches know that when you go to see a guy and they're not in the lineup, that's a downer. But, but what happened over the next seven innings of that ball game was even though Dante wasn't in the lineup, he was doing all kinds of things to help his team win the game. Specifically, he, was, he literally went and got every single foul ball. Now, we had pretty much determined that Dante, from the playing ability, was plenty good enough. But we went in to see him again, and that's what I saw. I saw a guy getting bats, getting helmets, essentially being the bat boy, shagging foul balls at whatever complex we were at. I, I want to say we were probably a good year. And just finding a way to help his team win other than by getting base hits and catching fly balls and doing all that kind of stuff. I think we're fortunate at a school like ours where we're recruiting the, the top of the top. So we're looking for things like that, that separate others. You, the players on this call have probably heard this many times. The way you fly around the field, the way you get on and off the field, the way you interact with your teammates, all those kinds of things are, are, are ex extremely important. Because if you're one of those guys that's being considered by the, quote, bigger schools, they're looking at guys with similar ability. And if you're not doing something other than getting going three for four to separate yourself, then you're missing the boat. The other thing, too, is that kind of attitude is low cost, high reward. When you can help your team win without getting hits or playing great, <laughs> guys that have played long enough, will know we'll, we'll tell you there's a lot of satisfaction in that and i think that's probably what i would say they you talk about your school being able to recruit the the best of the best and not every player is the best of the best but there's a lot of players that have tons of ability can you talk about the University of Arizona's philosophy as far as looking at other players, as far as kids that may go to JC and why JC in today's world, in COVID world, with the way the portal, has, the player portal has opened up, 
mm-hmm. why JC isn't such a bad place to go for young players now? I'm a product of the junior college. I went to El Cerrito High School in the Bay Area and then went to Laney College in Oakland and then had the opportunity to go play two years at University of California, Santa Barbara. And there were some other opportunities to go play out of high school at some really small schools. But I wanted to, like everybody on this call wanted to, at least the kids wanted to go play, wanted to play division one baseball. And so junior college was the avenue for it. I know that there's a stigma in terms of academics. When I coached at Servite High School, I advised several kids to go to junior college. They had opportunities at other places, which were fine. And those are great places. That's the great thing about baseball. There's there's a place for every single guy, every single kid to play. Excuse me, but their but their goal was to play Division One baseball, and and at a place like Servite High School, which is a private Catholic boys high school, you're thinking I didn't pay all that tuition to send my kid to junior college, but if 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 baseball is the ultimate goal and if baseball's, you know, what really drives you and you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can, you can achieve your goal by going to junior college. You should do it. There's a ton of great junior colleges in Northern California, Southern California, Arizona, all over the place. And, and sometimes you need a, a year or two or even three to to develop. Baseball's one of those sports where it's not the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the most talented. Everybody's familiar with the picture of Aaron Judge standing on second base with Jose Altuve. There's two complete opposites in terms of size. So junior college is a great is a great avenue and and for those that maybe aren't being looked at by division 1 schools there's so many places where you can get a great education and have a great athletic experience with great coaching that's it's all about fit and that's what I really feel like sometimes gets lost because perfect perfect game and PBR aren't posting that a kid's going to pick a school that's not a quote power five school I hate that term because in division one baseball everybody's good enough to beat you that's how I'd answer the junior college question thank you Dave I'm having a little bit of technical difficulties here so just so you guys know I don't know why it is but If I come in and out, please let me know. Just throw a hand up or something. My next question to you, Dave, is this. Education, obviously, is part of the puzzle. And what do you guys, what do you in the past, what have you learned about character 
work ethic, integrity of a player through his academic success or failure? I would answer that this way. This will be the start of my 36th year in, in coaching. And whether I was at a junior college or at the other Division I colleges I, I've coached or at Servite or at J. Sarah, I've never seen a kid underachieve in the classroom and overachieve on the baseball field. It just, it doesn't happen. There's, if there's a will, there's a way to succeed in college. We've had players over the years where college was hard. College is hard. Let's face it. College is hard. It's, it's not as laid out and structured and you're not being told by a bell to move on to the next class. You might have two classes on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and two others on Tuesday and Thursday. And, and sure, all the, there's plenty of academic support for student athletes at all the schools out there, but, but it, it, it just, there's a connection between doing well away from the field meaning on campus and in, in school and doing well on the field. And some guys, it takes a while to understand that and get the importance of it. But the main thing is, is whether you're in high school playing or whether you're in junior college or whether you're at a four-year school playing, if your ducks aren't in a row in school, you're going to practice that day thinking about the bio, the bio, the biology test you have to, tomorrow or the 10 page paper you have due tomorrow or the assignments that need to be turned in that night or the next day or towards the end of the week. And when that's hanging over your head, you're not, you're not, your mind isn't clear. And so now your baseball is going to suffer because your mind is elsewhere. Everybody gets a deadline. They understand that something's due and they know when they haven't been handling it and they know when they haven't been taking care of it. And as long as I've been doing this, our best players were always not low maintenance, but no maintenance in terms of, of, of the school stuff. And there's no better example than our head coach, Chip Hale. I mean, he tells kids, he tells our players and recruits the story all the time. He wasn't good enough to get drafted as a junior. He had to play his senior year, get drafted, and, and he did really well in professional baseball, got to the big leagues. But, but when he went out there, he didn't have to make it like others. He, if he played two years, got released, he was going to have a job with Procter & Gamble or Raytheon or pick the company out there because he already had his degree in hand and – so all he had to do was just go out and play. And now the best players most of the time are signing after their junior year. 
So when you're way on pace and you've only got a little bit to do by the end of that junior year, you're close. You're going to finish. And, and having that peace of mind is so helpful. And I've always said it. I haven't said it from experience because I didn't play professional baseball. But when I heard a guy who in Chip Hale, who's been, who was a four-year college player and then got a chance to play parts of six, seven, eight, nine seasons in the major leagues and basically make a career out of professional baseball. He says all the time to this day, I could stop this meaning baseball and go get a real job because I got a degree in hand. It's awesome. David. Yes. Um, I, I, sorry. I thought you were still talking. I didn't want to interrupt you. And cause like I said, I'm having, we're having a little bit of rain here in Northern California for once. So screwing up my line here, but. Great answer. We appreciate you telling the kids about how important school is. When you're recruiting a player, what are some of the characteristics you're looking for in a player? And now in this day of analytics, what are some of the important analytics that you guys look at that are important for you in judging and looking at players? Yeah, that's a that's another great question. Analytics is a big part of things now. And I'm really fond of saying that to all the young players out there and to the current players that are I'm looking here and I see some kids in our on our team listening in. Analytics is a great servant. It's a terrible master. As our recruiting coordinator, Trip Couch, likes to say, nobody really gives a heck how hard you throw ball for. Or nobody really gives a heck how, you know, what the vertical break or the spin rate was on the 58-foot slider. At the end of the day, in terms of pitching, you're looking for you're looking for guys that throw strikes. If they're not throwing strikes now as youngsters, chances are they're not going to throw strikes later. We see we see an incredible amount of p- pitchers for example out there who it's all about velocity. And hey, let's face it. A guy throws he's a 24 grad or a 23 grad who's running that ball up there at 90, that's going to get our attention for sure. But what's going to get us really interested is strikes. And and being competitive and this day and age where so many of their games are they're playing about 30 games a year that really mean something. And I don't mean to offend the club coaches out there because when you guys play in tournaments, you're playing to win and you're doing all that stuff. But you can't deny 
that the real pressure is high school baseball. That's real pressure. Junior college baseball. That's real pressure. Those are high leverage situations. And so we're looking for performers in those situations. Summer baseball in college is above average, high, high importance. Playing club baseball in high school. Let's face it, you're going out there to be seen. You're playing so that people like us can see you. And if you lose, obviously there's some kids out there that feel like they got kicked in the stomach. But for the most part, you're hopping in the pool after the game and you're waiting to see when your next game is the next day. From a pitching standpoint, I think I, I talked about it. Strikes. Throwing strikes with your stuff. Position players, athleticism. We have a kid coming to our school, local kid, shortstop. Two shortstops. They're, they're from southern Arizona. And, and they, got, they, they have game to their game. I don't, I don't know if you guys know what I mean when I say that, but they have game to their game. Whether they're playing summer ball, whether they're playing scout ball, whether they're playing for their high school, you can really see that they're trying to win. The first question was, other than the playing ability, what would you say? We're, we're looking for guys that play hard. We're looking for guys that are playing to win. We're looking for, for, for kids that get along with their players the longer I do this, I go to see a pitcher, for example, and Butch has told me this guy is 88 to 90 and he's a 24. Okay, so I already know what he is. So now I want to see how he competes. I don't even know the gun helps, but we're looking for baseball players. We're looking for guys that are playing to win. And it, and it goes beyond that when you get really deep into the recruiting process. You're recruiting families. You're recruiting the, the parents. You're, you're looking at that dynamic. You're looking at how, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you're looking at how does the young man interact with his mother and his father or his guardians or whoever it is that he holds near and dear everything matters everything matters and again when we're looking at players that we're looking at we'd like to think we're looking at the best of the best so we're looking for the separating things and and those intangible things are important i tell our pitchers all the time mentorship, being helpful, encouraging the other guy, whether or not he's, he's trying to take your spot just is just so high, high reward, low cost. And the baseball gods will reward that. And, and, 
I just can't say enough. The selfish, non-hustling, talented player, in my mind, we look at and we say, that kid is just good enough to get us beat. That's what I would say to that question, Butch. Thank you. That was outstanding. I'm getting texts from people going, this guy is brilliant. This is great stuff for people to hear, Dave. I want to stay with the pitch in here a little bit. What is you as a pitching coach, you've been a pitching coach for a long time. What's important for young potential college pitchers to have in their tool set, the ability, routine, weapons, mentality, pitchability. What makes a successful pitcher to you, Dave? I'm always impressed when I go to watch a pitcher. I try to get there early like we all do. When you were scouting and doing all that kind of stuff, you, you would probably agree your best work was done two, three hours before the game. I'm always impressed by the kid that has a plan. From Now, the warm-up routines now are so much different than they were just five years ago. They're extensive. And they're extensive because there's a lot of good info out there. There's good science out there. There's good research out there that says if you do X, Y, and Z before you get the ball in your hand, that it's very beneficial. The fact that they have a routine, whether you like it or not, I have massive respect for a kid who has a plan and a routine. Strikes. It's easier said than done, right? But strikes are, are huge. A high school kid, it's really hard to be a good high school, college pitcher as a high school freshman. It's very difficult. And it's difficult because in high school, generally speaking, if it's white, and it's round, and it's leaving a pitcher's hand, they're swinging. In college, man, they are game planning for you. They know what you throw for a strike. They know what you throw for a ball. They know what you what gets hit hard. They know all this information on you. So the ability to just pound the strike zone with your stuff is massive. Now, Certainly, there are instances in games where when one swing of the bat will change the game, you have to pitch smart. But at the end of the day, the ability to throw your stuff for strikes is gigantic. The other thing I would make a point of, and it's and you don't need a pitching coach. You don't need to go into a warehouse and practice it. You don't need video. You don't need Rapsodo, TrackMan, or anything like that. You need a changeup. Changeup is a game changer. Our best pitchers have always owned the changeup. And when you own the changeup, you, 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 look. Nowadays, all you young guys out there that are pitchers, the last four or five years, 
let's do that. Let's just go five years ago. If a kid threw 93, 94 plus, we would lie to him on the scouting report. We would tell him he throws 90, 92. Because if we told him he threw 93, 95, they'd be going, oh, my God, this guy throws gas. Now, here's what they want to know. Does he throw inside and does he throw a changeup? Because if he does that, they're like going, oh, man, this guy can pitch. Okay? Velocity doesn't matter. 95, 98, 100, whatever it is. I am astounded when I go see high school games and there's a kid who's throwing mid-90s and is getting pounded by high school by high school hitters. And if that doesn't tell you that you need a changeup and you need to command the, the fastball on the inner half, I, I don't know what does. The other part about the, about the pitching, you got to hold runners. That's not a big thing in professional baseball. Those guys are taking big they don't want to they don't want to risk giving up outs by bunning. They don't want to get risk giving up outs by just simply hitting a ground ball to the right side and move a runner over or get a runner in. They're, you don't get paid to do that. You get paid to hit home runs. Okay? But in college it's different. If you can't hold runners, if you can't get to the ball to the catcher in a reasonable time, they'll run you out of the ballpark. And in college, stolen bases are earned runs, man. You get a guy to second base without hitting his way over there or anything like that, man, it's tough to pit. So the ability to hold runners, we see it all the time, especially with left-handers. you got a left-hander that's 1-8 to 1-9 to the plate. And, man, he's going to get run out of the ballpark at our level. And that's, that's a learning curve, too, because here's the thing. And as a coach has been doing this a long time, I fully recognize it. If I saw a video of T.J. Nichols, a pitcher on our team, when he was pitching when he was 9 or 10, you know what? It looked pretty much the same. Guys have been pitching this way for a long time. So they come to college and – now all of a sudden they gotta. There's the thought that if I lift my leg higher, I'll throw the ball better. I'll throw the ball harder. You, know, you gotta be. You have to be open to maybe a new technique that might still get you feeling strong over the rubber and still being able to get the ball to the plate like you like it. But if you don't hold runners, man, you're gonna get run right out of the ballpark, especially in college. Awesome. Dave, let me ask you a question because we got a lot of young kids that are throwers and we have a tremendous amount of excellent coaches on this call tonight. And there's varying opinions on this and it's all good. It's opinion. What is your opinion on a pitcher's weekly routine? Bullpens. Mm -hmm. What kind of work do you like to see pitchers do so you know that they're in shape and they're ready to go. I think a typical week, if you were to say, okay, he starts on Friday. Okay. And he throws a hundred plus pitches. Okay. So the next day, the way, what the next day looks like this, he's going to get a really good weight workout in probably a whole body workout. And if he's, 
if he's pretty sore, it might be just heavy lower body, okay, heavy core. There'll be a really good session of arm care, okay, where they're doing some things with the trainer and working their arm. There's a saying that I got from the Texas baseball ranch. Ice used to be the thing. Ice isn't the thing anymore. The thing is, is you get that arm moving a little bit the next day. So you get the, the bad guys out and get the good guys to come back in. And what we're talking about there is you just, you have all these little micro traumas in your arm when you throw and you it used to be, you want to restrict blood flow where now the science says, no, you want to increase blood flow. Now for some, that may mean playing catch for others. It may not be. It may be that they do some arm care or something like that. We don't really make them do any one thing in that regard. But certainly the kid that likes the ball in their hand usually has been among our better guys. Day two would probably be a long toss day and an upper body workout and some type of conditioning by the time they get to day three which would be monday or day four which would be tuesday we're getting them back on the mound in some way shape or form to start throwing and 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 getting ready for the next for their next start but i let me just say this about young pitchers young guys pitch too much but they don't throw enough and everything is based off of feel. Okay. They, they, they don't push themselves in long toss as I feel like they should. I I really believe that to quote Alan Yeager, who everybody knows Yeager bands, I really believe in this. Long toss equals a long career. Long toss is an excellent way to build arm strength. The, but so they're so trained to just when they're out there in the outfield and they play catch, they do everything off a of field. Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting you throw through pain. I'm not suggesting that you throw through extreme soreness. Okay. But I would also say that pain and soreness isn't necessarily the end of the world. It might be some information. It gives us information as to what maybe you're doing wrong with your arm action or your delivery or anything along those lines. I, I, we've, we, I feel like at the school I'm at, we do a pretty good job of trying to raise the volume of catch. I think catch is giant in the development of a pitcher, whether you're throwing change-ups from, 60 70 feet or you're spinning the breaking ball from 60 50 feet you know 50 to 60 feet whatever it is the 
there's they just they pitch and then they don't do anything until they pitch again and that's where guys are getting hurt i believe i also think guys hate <coughs> excuse me coughing like crazy but when butch and i played and i'm sure there's others in the on this call i see dan spencer i see chips in there Chip, chips on listening the only guy that had tommy john was tommy john okay and now there's this massive amounts of it and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're trained so well and they're throwing way they're just like grip and rip and that's not necessarily the best, the best way to keep yourself healthy. I, I, now again, I'm using a high school, junior college model. All those kids that we get, they're, they're either not ready for pro ball or they're not good enough for pro ball yet. So they're still learning, but man, pitch. You got to pitch. And I think that there's, there's so many different routines and so many. We have, I don't know, 16, 18, 19 pitchers. I don't know, somewhere in there. And they've all got different ways of doing things. And we welcome that and we love it. But one of the things that from time to time I really try to impose my will on is is man, you gotta, you gotta take that arm out for a long walk, bro. It's gonna help you, man. It's like that back scratch that you get. It just feels so good. That's great stuff. And I, I, I heard you say, and I think I heard you say this, that the guys that come to you and I want to remind everybody how good the players are that come to the University of Arizona aren't ready for pro ball. I love that, that you have top-of-the-line players, and they're just not ready. So it shows that, to me that you can be the best and you still might not be ready to go play with the best. So that, I, I thought that was great. The throwing stuff, great. The question I have for you, you deal with average, you deal with good, you deal with great. What separates average, good, and great in your mind? I've said already there's – everybody likes the term low maintenance. I like the term no maintenance. Attention to detail, whatever it is. We had a kid in 16 named Kevin Ginkle that made it to the big leagues. And when he got to Arizona – we we had recruited him because he was a mid 90s guy and when he got to us it was low upper 80s low 90s and he was just trying to find it and trying to find it but but what he did was he just he kept sticking with the plan he kept sticking with his routine and and then eventually it it came to light he he all of a sudden found that mid 90s fastball We have several pitchers in our program right now who are great because because they're willing to stick to their plan, whether they're going well or they're not going good. 
And that's really important. It is a combination of makeup. It is a combination of physical ability. It's all of those things. It's a combination of doing well in school. And I'm not talking about A's and B's. What I'm talking about is turning your work in, making your tutor appointments, keeping your appointments with the academic support, turning stuff in on time, doing the best that you can. And and so when you take a guy really handling things away from the ballpark and then he's handling everything that's thrown at him at the ballpark, that's what ends up being great, being coachable. Look, I've done this long enough to know that the list of things that I'm unalterable in my thinking is really small. It's, it's me and the kid figuring out a way to figure it out. Now, he has to be open to some suggestions. My way is there's so many good people out there that coach baseball and know what the heck they're doing, okay? What I try to tell them is, look, I don't know that you're going to come across a group of people that are in charge of your development that have as good an idea of what, of how good guys do it really well, how good guys are good. And, and that has nothing to do with technique or the ability to teach the delivery or break down the swing or break down infield fundamentals or outfield fundamentals or bunting fundamentals or base running fundamentals. You have a group of people who are at your disposal that are going to give you some perspective on what good guys do to be good. Now you got to listen. You got to be open to it. We always ask players if you were going to give if you were going to grade yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in the weight room, what would you give yourself? And if they can't give themselves a 10, that's a problem. We ask kids, if you were going to give yourself a grade on a scale of 1 to 10, how you were in the training room with your arm care or attending to injuries or, or nicks and bumps and bruises, if you can't give yourself a 10 in those places, that's a problem. And the same thing goes for the academics. And again, I'm not in a perfect world. Everybody would be a 3-0 or higher and all that kind of stuff. I said at the very beginning, school's hard. We get it. But, man, the effort part is I wasn't a great student, but figured out a way to figure it out, grind through it, get through it, get the degree, and get on with things. I hope that answered that question.
That did, David. You're doing it. This is unbelievable, guys. The stuff we're getting here tonight for the families and for these young players and families, it, it, David, you, you, it's just incredible. I got two more questions for you, and then I'd like to let, if anybody else has any questions, to step forward and uh, ask away. My question to you is, Dave, obviously there's a lot of dollars spent by families trying to get the attention of Division One, Division Two, whatever, wherever level of baseball there is. What are the things, where are places that you would recommend kids to go to to be seen? Camps, what, I mean, what is the best way you think in all your years of experience that you could recommend to families and kids for the best way for their kids to be seen? Well, Butch, most of your kids or all of your kids are from California, correct? Mine are, yes. Okay. You got that going for you. Mom, dad, kids, players out there. The entire world comes to California to see the players. Okay. I don't necessarily think you need to be a showcase or a camp gypsy to get yourself seen. If you're really good, you will be found. Okay. Now, with the way the recruiting is, and we're still trying to catch up and survive this COVID stuff, we, we had a really short window in the summer and then basically four weeks in the fall. We're still trying to catch up and see people. If you're good. If you're really good, people know about you. And and if if the schools that you're not that you really want to go to aren't aren't calling you, aren't arranging through a third party to touch base with you or whatever the case may be, and you still think you're that kind of player, then bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. Keep working. Keep putting in the the time. I think there's a lot of – you don't need to go to Georgia for a month to be seen. You don't need to come to Phoenix for a month to be seen there's you're in California and when I say every major league organization has four to six scouts there's 27 maybe even 30 division one schools in the state there's 75 junior colleges there's a ton of great Division Two, Three, NAIA opportunities, and then the whole country comes here to see you. And I just think there's a lot of money being wasted going out and going all over the country to be seen when if you're really good, the people are going to find you. That's Dave. That's fantastic information. We have a lot of people on this call. I don't know if you noticed it, but they're from all over the country. 
and you know what you're saying i think is is tremendous information what i was what i'm asking is how i know like vanderbilt uses their camps Mm -hmm. to get to know a player how about you guys is that really important for you yeah we do just like everybody else does especially with the player that's a freshman or a sophomore it's the one way we can can see him up close and personal and get to know him a little bit it's also a way in which we can he can see the university legally so yeah we do camps when i say you don't need to travel the globe to be seen. If a school out there encourages you to come to their camp and it's a school that's on your very short list and you have the means and can do it without breaking the bank, then I would say you would you 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 should do it. There's lots of schools out there for years that have built their rosters off of their camps. I would say, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30%, maybe less, probably less, is put together by that, by that method. At the end of the day, we would prefer to see you play in person, and we would really prefer to see you play and perform well in high school. Great info. Okay, so I want to get to a couple questions because we have some uh, coaches that w- that want to ask you some questions. Dave, Chris, go ahead, shoot. Thanks, boy. Dave, really appreciate all the information, but that's that's really great stuff. Yeah, we're in a situation. I'm a I'm a high school coach, first of all, in in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we have several guys that are two way guys, right? There, I don't have five POs, six, seven POs running around so they've got to play multiple positions and hit given all that how would you go about trying to develop a staff like that given the rigors of the everyday playing right where they don't have you know two three four days to recover it's okay man you pitch three four innings and next day you got to get after it and we're in a situation where we'd like to try to get our guys going long into the game but understanding like hey that guy got to go play shortstop tomorrow or you got to play center field without that we're in a kind of a tough position how would you go about trying to develop that type of staff i think you have to treat their arm like a pitcher first and foremost which means maybe he doesn't take infield outfield the day after he pitched or maybe you're really limiting his throws in practice in the days after that he pitches or prior to him pitching again in terms of as a position player. We had, we've had a lot of success over the years with two-way guys. The most recent was Bobby Dahlbeck, who's the first baseman and third baseman for the Boston Red Sox. And he was one of our main pitchers. He started out the year closing, then he went and he was a starter. And he never took infield outfield once the entire year. And when he would take ground balls in practice, he would field it, set his feet, get his arm up, and then throw it in a bucket. 
if you don't do that, you got a chance for them to wear down and and get themselves hurt. It's a fine line, though, because that kind of method is coaching caution into them, mm-hmm. and and you get. I think it's the way you frame it because with Bobby, he was like. I need to practice throwing the ball across the infield from third base. Right. And and our argument then was, no, you don't. You've been doing it since you were like eight years old, Bobby. First base hasn't moved on you, bro. You'll be fine. <laughs> and so I think in the way that you put it and the way you frame it to get them to do it is key. Because when I coached in high school those uh, six years, our best players were also – our best pitchers and yet you, you, you have to be smart so would you look at it from a perspective in the off season of hey this guy is gonna follow the regimen of a pitcher more so than a position yeah. yeah yeah whenever you can especially when you're at that point of the year where you're you're building up to your first game of the year right mm-hmm. in the f- summer and the fall you can do all kinds of stuff. The weather's warm. There's a lot to just going out and being a baseball player. It's again, it's all how you frame it. There's some guys that want to baby their arms, and there's some guys like Bobby who wanted no part of it, but we had to convince him, you right. know, that this would probably serve him better. And interestingly enough, we see I don't know if it's direct correlation or not, but we see more the fatigue and injury in in just the POs. You guys, they're not going to sit around and, and say that their arms are bothering them because, yeah, they got to play the next day. And I don't know if that's them just trying to be tough or whatever. But typically, those are the guys that kind of last a little bit longer into deeper into the season. Yeah, well, sometimes you got to do the thinking for them, too. <laughs> and then the other part, too, is, is if you tell them, hey, look, man, we're never going to cheat you on the hit. Okay. At the end of the day, if they're hitting, they're going to find their way into doing everything they want to do. Mm-hmm. For sure. Great. Hope I answered your question. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Chris, Appreciate it. Thank you, yep. Chris, for taking part in this. Thanks, guys. Kirk, you're up, brother. Hey, Butch, thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to ask a question, uh, Coach Dave. Th- thank you so much as well for your your wisdom that you're imparting on all of us. and. Uh, just seeing how long you've been at it, really appreciate your time. My question is a, a question based upon you talking about the, the player as a whole, and I really appreciate you bringing that perspective to light that much more for everybody to understand that, hey, you have to be taking the disciplines that you're learning in your sport back into the other important areas of your life to become a complete person. Can you talk about a little bit of the things that you guys do to help develop your, your players as people? Coach Hale leans heavily on certain group of kids in each class that are leaders. See, he, I, I might be saying this wrong, but it's a leadership group, a leadership council. You give guys that sort of thing. But I think more than anything is you got to make it important. We believe Crappy programs let guys fail in school and be ineligible. We, if 
we have great academic support, okay? But still, nobody cares more than us. We care more than anybody could possibly care. So we have, when you're talking to them about what they're doing away from the ballpark, when you're talking to them about the importance of doing well in school, instead of just, hey, man, just be eligible, just pass your six units, all those kinds of things, you're just basically, you're just using them until they got to go and move on. And I, I don't think that's the way to do things. You're always going to have some guys that scuffle in school. And as an assistant coach, they'll say stuff in front of me that they may not say in front of the head coach. I remember early on, a couple of the pitchers were talking about a position player who wasn't very good on defense and that sort of thing. And, and I said, hey, man, we all got something, right? Everybody stinks at something, okay? So – you can't just point out the fact that this one individual maybe isn't good on defense. But I tell you what, if this guy flips 12 to 15 balls over the fence, you're going to really love him, aren't you? And we got a whole coaching staff that's doing all kinds of stuff to help him along on his defense and that sort of thing. You, you got enough on your plate. You can't be worrying about what some other guy does or isn't good at because we all have something we stink at. And I think a lot of times as coaches, we don't want to insert ourselves into those kinds of things. We think that let the kids sort it out or let the players sort it out. And sometimes that's very powerful too but but sometimes letting guys know that there's a hey man that's not cool now i've had some guys say to me hey it's not working hard in the weight room and i go what are you telling me for do something about it go talk to him have you said anything to him or you just look at him and go this guy's lazy lazy is no different than a guy that can't hit a curveball in my mind Bad attitude's no different than a guy who who can't catch a ground ball in my mind. So I think it's always about how you how it is that you frame the issue or whatever it is. We do over the years. We've done some team building stuff and all that kind of thing. At the end of the day, I mean, during COVID, we did none of it. And those last two years were about as good as they could get. It's about players playing good. It's about good players playing good. It's about keeping kids right in the head. It's about saying the right things after a game, win or lose. It's about getting to the next thing. It's, it's all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's what I would say to that. I hope I answered your question, Kirk. You did. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Thank you, Kirk. David, what an unbelievable night. Everyone, 
as you Brian has taped this, so it will be available tomorrow for other people that could not make it to this space tonight to listen to, and it'll be available tomorrow night. David, before we leave, I want to thank you very much for your time, the stuff that you gave our families, our kids, these coaches. This is what we, mentors of baseball, athlete 911, this is try the space we're trying to get to, positive talk that is open so people can learn baseball. So I want to tell you, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.